Welcome to Ominous Ones. I'm Tara. I'm Jen. We are a true crime podcast that covers missing people, murders, and all things ominous. If you like what you hear, make sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. This is going to be part of our Halloween episodes. This one starts with Ronald Clark O'Brien. He was born in 1944. He lived with his family in Deer Park, Texas. His wife, I'm going to say this wrong, was Danine, and the couple had two kids, Timothy and Elizabeth. Ron worked as an optician, oops, I don't know, an eye doctor, and seemed to be, re- I'm like, I'm not even going to attempt that, seemed to be really involved in his community. He worked on a local bus program, sang in the choir, and was also deacon at their church. On Halloween night in 1974, Ron took 8-year-old Timothy and 5-year-old Elizabeth out trick-or-treating. Earlier in the night, Ron and his family had dinner at their friends Jim and Jean Bates' house. Ron and Jim said that they would take the kids out while Danine and Jean stayed at the Bates' house to hand out candy. The Bates had two kids, Mark and Kim, and I'm not sure if Kim went with them. The reports on that were different. So they either had three or four kids with them. Okay. While they were out, they stopped at a house where no one answered the door and the light was off. The kids, wanting more candy, took off to the next house and Jim went with them and then Ron stayed behind. Once he was back with them, he said someone had eventually opened the door and had given him five pixie sticks. They were the big 21-inch ones. He told the group, quote, rich neighbors, unquote, were handing out expensive candy. He held on to them, and when they were done trick-or-treating, he gave two to Jim for his kids and gave one to Timothy and one to Elizabeth. And then when they were, I think when they were walking home, they saw um, 11-year-old Whitney Park, who they knew from church, and Ron gave her the last one. Also, why would you give your kid pixie sticks? Those are like At night that are that big? Oh my god, it's like pure, 21 inches of pure sugar. Once they were all home, Timothy wanted to eat his candy, obviously. Ron told him he could eat only one, so Timothy picked the pixie stick. Of course he did. He tried to open it on his own, but was having issues, so Ron helped him by rolling it in his hand to loosen up the powder and then just dumped it in Timothy's mouth. Once Timothy had eaten some of it, he said it tasted weird and not like it should, so Ron told him to drink some Kool-Aid to get the taste out of his mouth. So, more sugar. Oh my god. Almost immediately, Timothy got super sick and was throwing up, saying his stomach hurt and had foam coming out of his mouth. Oh, my God. Ron said when he was holding him and trying to help him, Timothy went limp in his arms. Timothy died on the way to the hospital less than an hour after Ron had helped him eat the pixie stick. What the fuck? After the cops were involved, they checked the pixie stick and found it wasn't all candy, but was actually potassium cyanide. Oh, my God. Why would you do that to children? Because uh, people are monsters. I mean, he did have his light off, and the general rule is that you don't knock on a door if their porch light is off. That's what I thought. I'm like, why would you even try to dark So that seems strange house? to me. The cops and neighborhood were worried that there was more tainted candy, so people started turning over all the candy they had received that night. Included in those were the other three pixie sticks that the Bates family had who they went with, but the kids hadn't eaten them yet. Thank God. The last family that had one was notified, and after checking the kid's candy bag, they didn't see it. So they freaked out and found it in their kid's hand, and they were asleep. It was like they were going to eat it, but fell asleep before they could. I think the last one was Whitney, the girl that they saw when they were walking. So the rest were accounted for. 
So just one poisoning? Yeah, just Timothy. Okay. The four pixie sticks were checked, and they found that all of them had been tampered with. They had been opened, and the top two inches of candy was taken out and replaced with the cyanide, and they were stapled back together. A pathologist checked the candy and said the one Timothy ate had enough cyanide to kill two grown adults, and the others had more in them, enough to kill three or four adults. So there's a lot of cyanide in there. I'm just horrified at this point. The cops wanted to know which house the candy came from, but Ron said he wasn't sure, which was odd because it turned out that they had only been trick-or-treating down two streets because it started raining and they decided to go home. That makes me wonder if they never did answer the door if it was him. Ron and the cops walked the neighborhood three times until Ron finally pointed out a house and said it was the one who didn't initially open their door. He told them after being left behind by the kids, the front door of the house opened just barely They didn't turn the light on or anything, and then a hand gave him the five pixie sticks. The only description he had was that it was a man's hand and arm. What I don't get is, how did the guy know that to give him five pixie sticks? I guess there was four kids with them, but I'm like, usually when you get candy, you only get a piece, don't you? I'm like, who's just like, oh, here's five pixie sticks. Well, that, and also, why would he stay behind to see if they were going to open the door? I'm like, how dire is it that you get candy from that house that's dark? The cops then found that none of the other houses on the two streets had given out any pixie sticks, especially not the giant ones. They checked the house out that Ron said was the one, and it was owned by an air traffic controller named Courtney Melvin. Courtney had been at work that night and said he didn't get home until about 11 p.m., so he wasn't around for all the kids trick-or-treating. He was still arrested, but the cops ended up finding about 200 witnesses that said they had seen Courtney at work that night, so he was ruled out and they let him go. After that, they started to look into Ron. They found he was in debt for over a hundred grand, which would be almost six hundred grand in today's money. Ron wasn't good at keeping a job, and in the previous ten years before Timothy died, Ron had gone through twenty-one different jobs. Wow. He was about to lose his house and car and current job after they said they thought that he was stealing from them. So I guess he wasn't an eye doctor. He just worked at the eye doctor place. Oh, maybe as a tech or something. Yeah. In January of 1974, Ron had taken out life insurance policies on his two kids for about ten grand, which is almost sixty thousand today. But in September, he had upped Timothy's another twenty thousand, making it about a hundred twenty thousand in today money. Then a few days before Halloween, Ron had upped both kids' life insurance another twenty thousand. The ending total was about 360000 in today money. Wow. So, and I guess his insurance company was like, why are you doing this? You shouldn't be doing this. Like, why do your kids need so much? And why have you changed it so much in a year? And he was like, I need more. I would have called the police at that point. Like, this dude is up to no good. It's weird you don't hear about insurance places reporting people and stuff like that. I mean... I'm sure they do. Sure they do, but it's weird you don't really hear about it. Because in a lot of them, they're like, oh, well, a day before, mm-hmm. they had upped it to a million dollars. Right. On the morning after Timothy died, Ron was already calling the insurance place to ask how he was going to get the money. Ron's wife told wow. the cops she had no idea about any of the policies. The cops started checking out where Ron had been and found that in October... Ron had been to a store that had cyanide. He found he could only buy five pounds at a time, so he left without buying anything. And they're not ever sure where it came from, but I'm like, I don't know, maybe he stole it out of that five pounds. Yeah. 
They think, obviously, Ron killed Timothy for the policy money and was willing to kill four other kids to make it seem like it wasn't targeted. There was also, wait, I'll tell you in a second, but speculation on why Elizabeth hadn't eaten it. His other kid. Uh Uh-huh. Ron was arrested on November 5th, and he denied everything. He was arrested for one charge of capital murder and four charges of attempted murder. At his trial, a chemist who personally knew Ron said Ron had asked him how much cyanide was deadly. Ron wasn't hiding that he was interested in cyanide. He was apparently talking to friends and family and co-workers about cyanide, and how much did they think it would take to kill someone? What the fuck? Just being like, hey, quick question. How much do you think it would take, how much cyanide to kill someone? Just wondering what your thoughts are. I'm like, a neon sign that says, arrest me, please. Basically, and he's telling everybody. Also, in the trial, Ron told his sister-in-law and brother-in-law that he was going to take the policy money and buy some materialistic things and maybe go on a vacation. So it wasn't even, like, to get himself out of debt. He was just like, God, I'd really like a vacation. I mean, after you kill your kid. Time for a little relaxation. Right. Jim, who went trick-or-treating with Ron and the kids, said, quote, at the funeral when the girl started playing on the organ, hit in it, he didn't pause, he didn't look, he didn't stop, he walked by, unquote. Then Ron's wife testified that on Halloween night, Timothy didn't want to eat the pixie stick, but Ron had, quote, forced him to eat it. Wow. She said Ron tried to force Elizabeth to eat the other one, but she refused. So I guess that's why Elizabeth was fine. She was like, yeah, I'm not eating 21 ounces or 21 inches of sugar right now. Jesus. A cop who investigated all this said, quote, the boy reached in and picked out a sucker. O'Brien said, no, no, you don't have time to eat a sucker. Here, try this pixie stick. I'm not sure how the cop knew that since Ron's denying it, but I guess his wife could have told him that happened. Ron's defense stuck with it being someone at the house that barely opened the door and they brought up the urban legends of someone handing out apples with razor blades and drugs put into other candies. But there aren't actually any documented stories of those things happening. Really? There's been cases of people like there was a dentist who put a bunch of laxatives in candy and that one was obviously true. And then some lady in I think New York was handing out just random awful things but she was like really quickly caught and they're like yeah it was her and she was charged and then she like was, awful things like what it was uh like a brillo pad and just random kitchen stuff but stuff you wouldn't really hand to a kid but other than that there's never been like razor blades in an apple i've because i always heard that as a kid remember being a kid and your parents checking your candy before mm-hmm. you had it yeah i'm like even don't the cops like x-ray it or something yeah So I'm like, they know it can happen. It's just not actually documented that that's happened very much. Or in the 70s, doesn't seem like at all. Because I think the dentist one and the other lady, I think those were more recent. Hmm. While the case was going on, Ron started to be called the Candyman. The trial started on June 3rd, 1975. Ron was found guilty of all the charges after the jury deliberated for 46 minutes. They only took 71 more minutes to sentence him to death. Good. Ron was really hated in jail. A chaplain who worked there said he was, quote, absolutely friendless. His first execution date was supposed to be on August 8th, 1980, but was stopped after his lawyer got him a stay of execution. Then it was supposed to happen on May 25th, 1982, but it was changed again. 
Next, it was supposed to happen on Halloween of 1982, and the judge who ordered it said he would personally drive Ron to the death chamber. Nice. If that would have happened, it would have been the first lethal injection execution in Texas, but the Supreme Court stopped it and said they did so Ron could apply for another appeal or try for a new trial. None of that happened, so they changed the date to March 31st, 1984. Ron's lawyer tried to stop it again this time for cruel and unusual punishment, but on March 28th, a judge told them no, it was going to happen this time. His last meal was a T-bone steak, fries, corn, peas, lettuce, salad, iced tea, crackers, rolls, and a Boston cream pie. In case you were wondering. That's a weird, uh... That's a lot. Yeah. That's why they stopped doing, um, last meals. I heard they do it, but there's like a $20 cap or something. Yeah, because I think it was in Texas. Some guy ordered just a ridiculous amount of food, and they were like, we're done with this. Ron's last words were, quote, What is about to transpire in a few moments is wrong. However, we as human beings do make mistakes and errors. This execution is one of those wrongs, yet doesn't mean our whole system of justice is wrong. Therefore, I would forgive all who have taken part in any way in my death. Also, to anyone I've offended in any way during my 39 years, I pray and ask your forgiveness, just as I forgive anyone who offended me in any way. And I pray and ask God's forgiveness for all of us, respectively, as human beings. To my loved ones, I extend my undying love. To those close to me, know in your hearts I love you, one and all. God bless you all, and may God's best blessings be always yours. Ronald C. O'Brien. P.S. During my time here, have been treated well by the TDC personnel. What? Those were his last words, last that paragraph. That was a weird flex at the end. Yeah, I'm not sure why that's... That was his ending note. He was executed March 31st, 1984, and during it, there were about 300 people outside for both sides of the death penalty. The ones for it yelled trick-or-treat when he died and were throwing candy to the anti-death penalty side. Wow. People have pointed out that in the 10 years he sat on death row, friendless, he never had any remorse or feelings for what he had done, not only to his own kid, but also to the other kids he tried to kill. Ron's wife divorced him after he was found guilty and married a guy who later adopted Elizabeth. Oh, that's cool. At least she got a happy ending. And that's the story of the Candyman. Wow. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.